Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, and of course we are joined by producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Leah Michelle addresses the bizarre but increasingly popular conspiracy theory that she can't read. Kanye West's years-long collab with Adidas is on the brink of collapse. Spencer Pratt says Lisa Kudrow is one of the worst humans. I've come in contact with and don't worry darling has finally oh. premiered at Venice only at the last minute little Miss Flo pulled out of her only proper media commitment yet again guys the celebrities have done their best this week we have so much to talk about but first Zara how was your week I had a great week team how, how are your week <laughs> I don't have much to say. <laughs> the sign of a gal who has nothing to talk about oh. from her week. Well, it's been like this for four and a half years. I never really prep anything because there's not that much interesting going on in my life. But as a wise person once said, no news is good news. No news is great news. I'm the same as you. Not a whole lot going on in my life. Just chilling. Just chilling. We do have to say, though, last week after we spoke about Jimmy and Holly's engagement with Stella Mish, we put a call out to not the people. Not engagement with Stella. They're exclusive about their engagement with Stella magazine, yes. The listeners knew. <laughs> um, we put a call out saying, how much? Do you know how much they were paid? If they were paid at all? How much do you think they were paid? How much do these exclusives go for these days? Yeah, because I predicted on the show last week that I thought it would be about the $10,000 mark. That if you're giving an exclusive bit of goss about your private life, like a baby, an engagement, a wedding, 10 k for Stella Magazine felt right. We polled people on Your Safe Friday and most people landed on the 10 k mark as well. Yes, we actually have the answer. We do have the answer and not just the answer. We have the answer from maybe the only person in the world that we can really truly trust with this information, the editor-in-chief of Stella Magazine. Yeah, exactly. So thanks, Sarah, for (laughs) getting in touch with us. She messaged us and said, we don't pay for any exclusives. For free. So Holly and Jimmy... For anyone wondering after last week's episode, gave that exclusive to Stella Magazine about their engagement for free. Set their rates a bit higher. I I am surprised about this. First of all, claps for Stella Magazine for being able to get stories like this and not pay a cent. Like that's pretty incredible. Clearly a lot of people want to work and align themselves with the Stella Magazine brand. I also just quickly to interrupt, I do think it's kind of in line with the Stella thing of like not trying to be, I mean, it's not a tabloid. And I don't think yeah. I'd want to be confused for like a woman's day or a new idea or anything like that. So I get it. I get why they'd say we do not pay for these stories. Yeah. But I'm surprised that celebrities would do it without trying to put a price on it. Well, the interesting thing was is that so Stella broke the news of Holly and Jimmy's engagement and got like 400 likes on the post that they put up, right? I'm just surprised that given Holly and Jimmy are Instagram influencers now, they're content creators, their whole job is to get eyeballs and likes and engagement with the stuff they put online. 
It doesn't make a heap of sense to me why they would choose to do this, but claps for Stella, as I said. But again, it might actually align with the other thing we were talking about the other week, which was maybe there was a profile already in the works and then they just ended up giving the update to them and thought, you know what, it's easier to tell the whole story as one. But yes, we are the ones that can get you the facts. We can get you the (laughs) truths. We are a podcast of truths. So that's how our week was. I do have a recommendation this week, but it's kind of – there's kind of like a cheat element to the recommendation because uh, I slightly okay. mentioned it the other week. But as I am learning on this show, I do think if I don't sell something properly, the people won't do it. Yes, fair enough. A la the split. Oh, yes, absolutely. If you're going to recommend it and if it really deserves a recommendation, you've got to go the whole way. Yes. So our listeners might remember last week I recommended the biography of Anna Wintour, creatively titled Anna by Amy O'Dell. And as I said last week, that is fascinating to say the least. And so I just end up deep diving everything on the same topic over the course of a week or two. So what I have gone back and rewatched again is the September issue on Stan. Now I mentioned this to you guys maybe a month ago on the show, but it was like sandwiched in somewhere random. (laughs) Now the September issue is a documentary that was released in 2009 and it was about the making of that year's September issue of Vogue. Yes. And I just think if people want a bit of sugar a bit about Anna Wintour but also a really stark look at the kinds of people who are controlling culture and fashion and maybe how scary some of that is watch it oh my god because I just think the stuff that I'm reading about Anna Wintour like I know I'm in a rabbit hole at the moment no no we love it I just cannot fathom how one woman has so much power and how her biases over 20 30 years have impacted I would say billions of people. Do you like Anna Wintour after reading this semi-authorised biography? I don't know if it's relevant whether I like her. That's a no. (laughs) I think I'm finding myself in this rabbit hole because I don't think that there are many people who will have a more complicated legacy when she finishes up. When she dies? No, when she finishes up at Vogue, whenever that is. Yeah, and I mean, truthfully, it sounds like she's going to keep working till she dies anyway, so that might be. But yeah, I think the legacy that I'm starting to properly grasp is enormous and complicated. So if you want to start somewhere, start with the September issue. It's also incredibly sugary, as I say, so very easy to watch, but there are some interesting things that happen. Is it like the real life Devil Wears Prada? Because that's what will get me. Yeah, yeah, but it's less kind of glam. You're like in the boring grey offices of Vogue watching right. them put something together. But I think you'd like it. It's like an hour and 20 minutes on stand, easy to find. Watch it. Let me know what you think. Obsessed with that. Thank you very much for that. You are very welcome. How was your week? What have you got for me? Nothing to chat about <laughs> <for> my week <laughs> Good <either>. stuff. <laughs> but my wreck, I actually am really excited about this one. I clicked into an episode of The Imperfects. We have recommended various episodes of The Imperfects so many different times on Shameless. I clicked into this episode and truthfully wasn't super inspired by the title because, you know, some people just appeal to you, some people might not. The person being interviewed on this episode is Mark Wilson from Jet, as in the <laughs> band Jet. And look, Jet was massive in the early noughties. When they were <laughs> They were in a bit when I might have been six or seven or eight years old, right? So probably not their target demo. I was like, I love the Imperfects anyway. I'll give it a shot. And at the beginning of the episode, the hosts were really talking back and forth about how this was a special episode. Like this was a really good one. They were really excited to share, which really hooked me in. Yeah, nice. And let me tell you, they did not overpromise and underdeliver. Like even with the high expectations I had after the preamble, it is one of the more special interviews I have listened to on a podcast. I loved hearing about Jet's rise to success when these men were really young. They're all men from like Geelong and Dingley, first of all, which if you live in Victoria. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Like feels super local, but it's the kind of story of how they rose to then be winning MTV Music Awards and sitting next to Beyonce and Jay-Z at the MTV Awards to then how they transitioned out of that rock and roll life. He talks a lot about what it's like being a rock and roll musician when you're partying and doing drugs and drinking a lot and having that lifestyle. He talks about losing his dad. He talks about also child loss, which please be wary of that. If you want to jump into this, it talks a lot about that. But I hadn't heard a father discuss child loss and bereavement before very much. I think it's probably an area that we hear a lot from the women who lose pregnancies or lose children. I hadn't heard a conversation like this very often at all, maybe ever. And I just, oh, it's such a special episode. I really, really enjoyed it. 
Well, I think the the thing I constantly think and say when I'm talking about the imperfects is so many of these conversations I've never really heard men in their 40s talk Mm. about in a mainstream way. Like I imagine it's not just having Mark Wilson have that conversation, but he's having it with three men of his age as well and they're having it publicly. And it's incredibly beautiful to hear men in their 40s be very vulnerable to a huge audience. Like we just have never really had that. And Mark said in the episode, he's like, oh, I'm finding this so therapeutic. Like I really, I never used to speak about this stuff when I was younger. I used to bottle everything up. It's been a long learning process for me as a human to start talking. And he was saying, I'm so glad that we're at this place right now where we're having this conversation, all of us men who are in their 30s and 40s. And I just felt privileged to be able to hear Uh. the conversation. And I, I was fighting back tears. It's quite emotional, but... Fuck, go listen. And also, turns out we're all closet jet fans. Especially Zara. Yeah. I knew all their really niche songs. (laughs) It was quite funny. You came in this morning and said, I'm really excited for my recommendation. And we kind of broke the rules because usually we're not allowed to tell each other. But I was like, just tell me. Yeah, the rule is save it for the show, save (laughs) it for the show. But I was like, fuck it. I need to talk to you guys about this. And so we were talking about jet. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know like some jet songs. And I was like going through (laughs) them all. And I was like, how do I know every single song? I think my dad just had the album on repeat for three years straight you know what him and every major radio station but you did know the like lesser known songs on that album yeah i did jet (laughs) Jet was a vibe let me say i wouldn't mind betting that after this show today we're going to turn on jet in our office and just bang out well they were were some absolute i'm a rock star as you can tell yeah we're really into rock and roll (laughs) how good look let's jump into the first segment of the show mish because we have so much to get through today as you said at the top of the show the celebrities really celebritied this week we are starting with leah michelle because she was everywhere this week. Yeah, of course. Leah Michelle is best known for being one of the lead actresses in Glee. She's also been in headlines recently because she's actually finally stepping into the role of Fanny Bryce in the Broadway musical Funny Girl. Now, that made headlines actually while we were on break from the podcast during our mid-year break. It was a bit of a controversial one. The actress who was originally playing Fanny Bryce was kind of unceremoniously fired for not getting great reviews and maybe not performing to the standard executives expected and Leah Michelle replaced her. Yes, the conversation was very much Beanie Feldstein was still performing while they were trying to schmooze Leah Michelle behind closed doors to mm. get her to take the role. It was messy and it was complicated. So now Leah is finally about to take the stage in that role. Ahead of Leah's debut, she was actually profiled in the New York Times, which is why everybody's talking about Leah Michelle this week. And I think what was really interesting for us about that story is the quote that came at the very end of the piece. That for me is the quote that everybody's talking about. Because at the end of the piece, the writer, Julia Jacobs wrote about that bizarre viral rumour that people have been talking about for years Mm -hmm. that Leah Michelle can't read. Julia Jacobs wrote this. Michelle admits that she is only just learning how to be publicly vulnerable. Online hatred of her converge on gleeful and she fears that if she responds to criticism or a bizarre rumour that she is illiterate, it will fuel the fire. What's interesting is that after Julia Jacobs wrote that, Leah Michelle did respond to it. She said, I went to Glee every single day. I knew my lines every single day. And then there's a rumor online that I can't read or write. It's sad. It really is. I think often if I were a man, a lot of this wouldn't be the case. And it made us think, you know, this rumor, this weird, bizarre, in my opinion, like relatively unfunny rumor has been going on for years. And I'm like, has anyone actually traced the origins of this? Yeah, well, we've seen this kind of go around the internet for a while now and gain momentum this year in particular, like particularly over the last few months. And it's never quite been right for Shameless because it's just been some bizarre conspiracy on Twitter in particular. Now we feel like Leah Michelle has addressed it. It is a story for us and we do want to unpack it. The story behind how this conspiracy came to be is really interesting. Essentially, according to the publication ID, it can all be traced back to a pop culture podcast called One More Thing that was hosted by Jay Hunt and Robert Ackerman. Without getting too bogged down in the details, in 2017, the two hosts were discussing a section of Glee star Naya Rivera's memoir that painted Leah Michelle in a really awful light. And essentially they were saying, oh my God, this section about Leah Michelle is so awful, which side note, we've heard a lot of awful accounts of Leah Michelle's behaviour on the set of Glee and elsewhere. 
They were like, okay, Naya Rivera's story is so messy and so yuck and paints such an awful picture of Leah Michelle. What has Leah Michelle said about this? They then went on the internet and found that Leah Michelle hadn't addressed the allegations in Naya Rivera's memoir and then deduced from that, they came to the conclusion that maybe Leah Michelle didn't respond to the allegations in the memoir because she didn't read the memoir. And if she didn't read that memoir, does it mean Leah Michelle can't read? I wish it was more detailed than that. And I wish that it was more, I don't know, robust, robust than that. But that's truly where this began. From there, the duo then did a 40-minute Facebook video, like a live, running their listeners through all of their evidence to explain why they believed Leah Michelle couldn't read. And they brought in a lot of things like clips from Ellen DeGeneres' show and elsewhere to paint a picture of, well, Leah Michelle doesn't write very often. She doesn't seem to be able to read very clearly on these talk shows. Therefore, she can't read. It's incredibly bizarre. And so the theory goes, Mish, that Leah Michelle was a child star. She never found the time to read because she was so successful. And so the conspiracy goes, she just pays people to read for her. Now, while the rumours have died down over the years, they've kind of come in waves, right? When Leah Michelle is in the headlines, so to her, these rumours. And I think for me, I kept looking at this, but found myself utterly uninterested in this conspiracy theory because even with the memes around it, I just didn't find it that funny. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I truthfully, in my worst moments, have probably had like an amused reaction to some of it simply because this has gotten so big so quickly now. Like this was an underground conspiracy for so long. This is now at the point this week where someone will tweet something about Leah Michelle and this can't read conspiracy that will get 80,000 likes. Like I found multiple tweets this week that had 80,000 likes attached to them. It's kind of got a life of its own. So when I'm finding it amusing, it's not that I'm finding her potentially being unable to read or write amusing, I'm finding the virality of this amusing. Like the way this has taken over the internet, Twitter and now TikTok, I just find bizarre. Like I don't think I've seen such an outlandish rumour about a celebrity gain this much momentum. I think that's fair. And then I think the other conversation that we were having in the office yesterday that you were saying is like, and you made a really good point to me, you were like, I haven't seen young people jump on something that's actually like this before young people are usually the ones keeping the rest of us in check on the internet they're usually the ones saying you know can we rephrase something people's tone is really important all of those kinds of things like you know we call them the quote-unquote I don't know woke generation yeah or snowflake generation when it's so sensitive all of those kinds of things but you're right this is kind of the one joke that I'm seeing that generation not give a fuck about they're like we actually will take this and we will push this to the nth degree even though it's a pretty odd joke to push. Yeah, well, some people, and rightly so, have questioned, is this joke ableist? And it's a really interesting question. The conspiracy theory isn't that Leah Michelle can't read because she has a learning difficulty. It's she can't read because she never had the time to read and therefore just pays people to do it for her because she was such a big child star. So the question of ableism, I think, is a really valid one. I think we should be having conversations about that. I also think it's not entirely relevant how the rumour came to be. If you're still deriding someone for something they reportedly can't do. Yes. It's like it's still having the same impact on people who might have that similar experience. Well, it'd be interesting to know from our listeners, if you say are dyslexic or if you have struggled with this stuff in the past, do you see this rumour online and feel hurt by it? Like I think it's an incredibly confronting rumour to see, particularly when Leah Michelle is being actively mocked for it. But Gen Z's kind of defensiveness over their right to tell this joke has really taken me by surprise. When Jamila Jamil called out this joke as ableist, people on Twitter started going for Jamila Jamil. Like it's almost like Gen Z for the first time that I've seen anyway are saying, let us have fun. Don't take this too seriously. Don't be a killjoy. And they saw Jamila Jamil calling it ableist as the ultimate form of being a killjoy. And now Jamila Jamil is attached to this meme in a way that's really interesting. When someone calls it out or says you can't joke about Leah Michelle's ability to read or write, people will tweet back a screen grab from the recent Gossip Girl reboot that reads, it gets worse. Jamila Jamil just defended you as some kind of sign of like, don't be that person. Don't yeah. take this from us. Don't be too sensitive. Let us have this fun. It's also interesting because as we have this conversation, we're saying, you know, a lot of this conversation is actually happening on Twitter, where a lot of the conversations that happen on Twitter aren't really like this at all. No. It's so far the opposite. It is so far Twitter trying to eat itself by trying to hold everybody accountable for every slightly problematic thing they've ever done in their entire lives. 
But yet this is your right. The one joke that people are like, nah, this is the one we stand by. And I appreciate, as we've spoken about in this segment already, Leah Michelle has a pretty murky history of working on Glee in particular and working on other sets as well. But I kind of think those two things can exist separately. She can have that reputation and it'd be a really, really important conversation for us to have. And just as equally, I can look at this and say, I don't really get it. Like, how did this get so big? And the gleeful mocking of what is, you know, a really widespread issue for a lot of people. I just, I don't really get it. Yeah, it has to be something to do with the racism allegations against Leah Michelle and kind of the bullying allegations that there are people we see or people that at least the Twitter cohort deem worthy of mocking. Yeah. And it's, a fascinating, fascinating case study in Gen Z. And is Gen Z about to be the ones that push back against this kind of like political correctness gone mad rhetoric that we've seen online? Because that is something I did not see coming. But I thought they were the one pushing it. Anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, Annabelle's just next to me Googling Leah Michelle. So no. I don't think she knows who Leah Michelle is. I do. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge Glee I know, fan. I'm, I'm I was going to say, you're a Gleek. <laughs> you're if a anyone at this table is a Gleek, it's you. What? I was a Gleek. What did you want out of the Google search? <laughs> I was trying to find out whether she was a child star. Oh, oh yeah. I, sorry. She was on Les Mis when she was eight years old. Right. She was massive on Broadway as a child. You know what, though? We love a live fact. That is what we've got you for and that is what we need. Keep producing this show, Annabelle Lee. We love you for it. Coming up after the break, Kanye West's Adidas collab is on the brink of collapse and then we need to talk about the Don't Worry Darling premiere at Venice. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the Ruffley and Tumbley, the celebrity and pop culture news cycle that people were asking. I had a mouthful <laughs> of water. I wanted to whoop, but it yeah. came out as a Michelle <laughs> Rock and Roll Andrews. Ah, that's you, my friend. Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for me? My first story, Married at First Sight star Martha Califatidis is expecting her first child with partner Michael Brunelli. That is from news.com. Guys, our favourite math stars, maybe ever, and one of the most successful influences to ever come out of Australian reality TV, Martha, is expecting her first child and they announced this news on Instagram. Yeah, they put a video up both on Instagram and TikTok. Now, fans of the couple who actually met on the show had been wondering if something was going on because Martha had been absent from her socials since July. They cited an unnamed viral infection that had left her bedridden for months. Now, in fact, Martha was pregnant and she, in fact, had hyperemesis gravidarum. Here is a snippet from the announcement video they posted on Instagram and TikTok where they spoke about how difficult the last few months have been. I literally didn't get out of bed for two months. I was so sick. I could not eat or drink anything. There were days that I didn't even get up to pee. And you lost 10 kilos? I lost like 10 kilos in five weeks. We've just been in and out of the emergency room and hospital. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here in Melbourne, I'm seeing an amazing doctor and she has given me some medication, which has literally been life-changing. So it is helping me to feel human again and to start moving around again. Fucking hell, that sounds horrific. Like, of course, yes, we can talk about the joy of becoming parents yeah, and, and, being and the pregnant. privilege of that for sure absolutely but also god being bedridden for months not being able to get out of bed to wee like I think that really shows just how sick Martha has been the fact she hasn't been out of work for two months I as happy as I am for them also my heart just goes out to her that sounds really really difficult yeah or any woman who has experienced HD as well because it does sound incredibly difficult and yeah. as you mentioned you know there are kind of space for two different conversations. It's like it's it's so wonderful that, that they've been able to fall pregnant, but just as equally, I don't think you'd wish HD on many people. It sounds it sounds incredibly difficult and I think so many women deal with it very quietly. So congratulations to them. This will be a beautiful baby. Oh, never. <laughs> Here's hoping that she is through the worst of it. She said she was on some better medication now and that hopefully life can start slowly resuming as much back to normal as possible. Yeah. My second story, everything Kanye West is saying about Adidas right now, that is from Complex. You guys, Kanye, who now legally goes by yay, he does tend to do this where he pops up and there's a bit of mess going on on Instagram before kind of going away again. Yeah. Now, 
the kinds of things he was saying on Instagram this week were directly related to his huge contract with Adidas, which is a huge corner of his career. Yeah, he did say some stuff about Kim Kardashian and the kids. He was upset with where the kids are going to school and that was kind of how this all kicked off. But after taking aim at Kim and talking about the schooling choice for his children, he definitely turned his attention and his sights to Adidas. And this is a pretty big story in the celebrity space because Kanye and Adidas have been working together since 2015. He entered a massive 10-year contract with them in 2016. They actually release his Yeezy shoes, which we know are like a huge cultural moment as well. Yeah, a huge money one yeah. also. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge financial deal. So under this partnership with Adidas, Kanye retains 100% ownership of his brand. He has full creative control. He owns the IP, but Adidas actually retains 85% of the profits. They do all the grunt work of like releasing the shoes, retailing yeah. the shoes, making the shoes. Kanye is kind of the ideas factory behind the shoes. And he does make a heap of money from this deal. In 2020, Yeezy sneakers generated $1.7 billion in revenue in a single year, which translated into $191 million in royalties for Kanye. Now that's all in jeopardy. Yeah, absolutely. Because Kanye is saying on Instagram that he wants out of this contract, which is set to run until 2026, because he believes that Adidas is ripping off his designs for the other shoes. They're keeping him out of like really important meetings to try and reduce his creative control over his Yeezy products. And that they are choosing the colorways of the shoes without his input. Mm. Now, in true Kanye style, he did a couple of things when he was communicating this message to his Instagram followers. Firstly, he posted another photoshopped cover of the New York Times announcing that the current CEO of Adidas died at age 60. We should say that obviously is not true. It's kind of in similar vein to how he said Pete Davidson or Skeet Davidson or whatever. Dead. Dead. Yeah. Now, he also was posting photos of all of the board members to his feed in individual feed posts. Yeah, he originally posted them with quite snarky captions. Reportedly, Instagram removed all of those posts. He then put the headshots back up with like sarcastically positive messages, which are still live on his page at the time of recording. He's also taken a real aim at the senior vice president, Daniel Cherry, and he's kind of mocking his hat and what he's wearing in a lot of posts as well. I mean, it goes without saying, this would all be very different, like a very unusual experience for anyone on the board at Adidas. These are photos of them and sentiments about them being shared to 17 million people on Kanye's account. Like this is a big, big thing for someone who's not in the public eye to be experiencing. No, it would be pretty bizarre, wouldn't it? And I think the thing that we've got to keep considering here is like this is a, a multi-billion dollar deal mm. like I would love to know what's going on behind the scenes because it would be inc I can imagine it would be incredibly hard for this contract to fall apart if you know they're signed on until 2026 but that said to Adidas want this kind of publicity Kanye's also been posting photos of Nike shoes to try and get back at Adidas so it's like is this the kind of thing that Adidas even want? Well the fact that under contract with them he's sharing photos of Nike sneakers as like a form of retaliation surely that's breaking his contract in some like if you're gonna break an adidas contract surely the number one way to do it is to start promoting nike their number one competitor but at 1.7 billion in revenue yeah in a year well kanye claims he's more than half of their yearly revenue on adidas shoes so like, this is not something they're just gonna kind of cut off quietly they they would be doing some serious thinking behind the scenes and some serious yeah emergency groundwork anyway we'll watch that space and come back to you with an update if there is one our third story kendall Jenna and Tristan Thompson don't acknowledge each other when they cross paths at the weekend's concert. That is from Entertainment Tonight. Look, I'm not going to lie. This actually isn't the angle at all I care about, <laughs> about Kendall Jenner going to the weekend concert. I just couldn't find a headline about what I wanted. So let me set it quickly up for you. Kendall Jenner went to the weekend's concert over the weekend in <laughs> LA. Yes, she was kind of in the similar vicinity as Tristan Thompson. And yes, apparently they didn't really say hi. Well, why would you? Yeah. I wouldn't say hi to Tristan Thompson. That's not really the interesting story. <laughs> the interesting story for me is that Kendall was actually at this concert. And you might be thinking, why is that interesting, Zara? Tell me why it's interesting. Tell me why it's interesting, Zara. <laughs> I am going to tell you why it's interesting. Because The Weeknd is dating a woman by the name of Simi Kadra. Now, you might have heard that name because Simi is one half of 
of the twin DJ duo, Simi and Hayes. They are some of Bella Hadid's oldest friends. I feel like they've kind of operated in that celebrity socialite friendship group for some time. They're good friends with Selena Gomez, which is also interesting. And their brother has been, Faye, has been in episodes of The Kardashians. For sure. For a time, people thought he was dating Kylie or Kendall. He's a long-term friend of Kendall Jenner particularly. Now, Bella Hadid, we need to remember here, dated The Weeknd on and off for well over four years between 2015 and 2019. A long time in celebrity land. Yes, there was a 10-month interlude where he dated Selena Gomez. Who could forget? Yes. (laughs) But Bella and The Weeknd were like quite a thing. Bella was really good friends with the twins, Simi and Hayes. And then this year it came out that Simi was actually dating The Weeknd. So everyone was like, oh my goodness, what does this mean for Bella Hadid's friendship with Simi and Hayes, the twins? The ultimate form of betrayal to date the ex. Well, Bella unfollowed them the minute these headlines came out. Unfollowed Mm. straight away. So everyone's like, all is not well. So you're still probably wondering with this story, what's Kendall got to do with it? Well, Kendall is also a longtime friend of Bella too. Mm. So when she was spotted at this concert on the weekend and she wasn't like hiding in a corner, she was like at the centre of a mosh pit. I don't know if you guys saw photos or videos of this. Oh, all over my TikTok. But they were like dancing and they were like at the centre of all of it. They wanted to be spotted. Mm. Everyone was like, has Bella Hadid and Kendall Jenner fallen out? Ooh, and I want to know what you guys think about this because I part of me is like someone like Kendall Jenner doesn't do anything by accident. She's turning up to a concert like this with Simi and knows that people will talk about her friendship with Bella. But just as equally, is it kind of juvenile and immature for us to think that someone who's friends with two people who have once dated the same guy can't all still be at peace with each other? It's a really interesting one. I always got the impression... And I need to do more research into this. Maybe it's a nah, nah. scandal, actually, one day. Shoot it out. I got the impression that Bella and The Weeknd did not finish on good terms. Yes. The Weeknd has written song after song yeah. about Bella Hadid, even after she's, like, moved on and in another relationship that seems to be quite happy. Like, he seems, if anything, slightly obsessed with that breakup or, I don't know, that heartbreak I feel like with obsessed her. might be an over Yeah, statement. look, as soon as I said yeah. it, I was like, that is mayo. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to shut you down. I agree with you. He has written a few songs. He seems to be more attached maybe than what she was or I didn't love some of the lyrics in his it's songs that. about her. So Obsessed was unfair the weekend. So sorry if you're listening to this. <laughs> I think if that's the case, that they didn't end on good terms, as a friend, you're in the situation where you need to pick a side. Like you need to be Bella's friend. If you've been her long-term friend and she's not on good terms with her ex and she believes he's mistreated her maybe you should kind of back her up and if you are going to have a relationship with her ex not be seen in public together maybe do that behind closed doors but then on the other side I'm like is that juvenile am I being immature when I say that can we all be adults and not pick a side I would love to say that that's the case but in reality in real life I don't think it works that way well it depends because I'm like is this less about Kendall being mates with the weekend and more about her still being friends with the girl that dated Bella's boyfriend right after her yeah and is that the central problem and is that a problem at all for me I think the question that you raised is only relevant about whether Kendall had her own individual relationship with the weekend like if they're mates outside of him being Bella's boyfriend but we're getting kind of messy here (laughs) what I do think is very interesting is I agree with you I would love to say let's all be mature who cares Kendall can go to the concert and be friends with everyone but again Kendall does nothing by accident she knows exactly the kind of headlines that this will generate I do not think Kendall Jenner and Bella did her friends anymore interesting well Bella still follows Kendall but that would be a big headline if she unfollowed her yeah I don't think she would unfollow Kendall Mm. Jenner they were at the same baby shower a month ago for their great mate Lauren Perez I don't know who that is but sure they were both (laughs) they were both bridesmaids at Lauren's wedding oh yes and they wore the Beckham Beckham Bridge dresses dresses. shout out to Beckham Bridge that was a pretty good get for them that was a good get for them but they weren't photographed together anyway Mm. so that's another one just just simmering that I'm interested in. I actually reckon 2022 might be the year of the celebrity feud. I feel like there are a few celebrity feuds going on that earlier in the year were like, are these right? Feels like smoky gossip. And then every single feud is turning out to be absolutely right. 
And that's the theme of the year. Well, now that you say that, I'm looking at the stories we still need to talk about for the rest of the episode and they're all somehow centred in feuds. So <laughs> get me to the next one. Our fourth story, Spencer Pratt calls Lisa Kudrow one of the worst humans I've come in contact with, while Bethany Frankel claims to have had crazy experience with the friend star. That is from the Daily Mail. Alrighty. So this story, <laughs> I mean, I think any any story involving Spencer Pratt deserves a mild eye roll, but let's go. Has he ever made it to the podcast mm. before, by the way? Spencer Pratt. I don't think we've maybe ever discussed him on Shameless before. I think once. Interesting. I can't tell you when. (laughs) I just think statistically probably once. Now, Spencer Pratt said, as you said in the headline, that Lisa Kudrow was one of the worst humans he'd ever come in contact with in a video that he shared on TikTok on Friday in a series that he's hashtagged The Spills. Yeah. Nice play on words with The Hills. Because it's the only thing he's ever Ah. done with his career, The Hills. Ah. Now. In the clip, the former reality star referred to the actress as Phoebe from Friends, of course, and alleged that she was the worst because of this interaction. So as we are standing near the buffet, that's when Phoebe Buffet rolls up. And right in front of me, she tells Heidi that she needs to get away from me as fast as possible because I'm going to murder Heidi and that I have the eyes of a serial killer. Heidi waits to see if this is a joke. Maybe this is a bit, a skit. Maybe this is a hidden camera show why we were invited to this elite party. No laughs. She just walks away. Very interesting. My favourite comment on this video was, that wasn't Phoebe, that was her twin sister, (laughs) Ursula. For For any of the friend fans at home. Now, I heard that and I thought, Okay, perhaps Phoebe or Lisa probably shouldn't have said he was going to kill Heidi. Yeah. But I don't necessarily have a problem with her saying he has serial killer eyes. Well, I think anyone who's watched The Hills knows that the way that Spencer Pratt came across was really awful on that show. And again, yes, it's a reality show. He was a producer on that. Yeah, he actively participated in his own villainisation, right? Like. The way he spoke to Heidi and the way he treated Heidi would not fly at all today if that was on our screens. It didn't fly back in the Hills days. I remember people actively hated him for the way he was towards his partner. So the fact that Lisa Kudrow walked up to them at a party and said, he treats you awfully or something to that effect doesn't surprise me. One thing I would say is if she was genuinely concerned about Heidi's safety would you say that in front of Heidi's partner? Like that's putting a woman in a dangerous situation. But then again, we don't know if this was genuinely said as like a safety concern or if it was just said as like a, your partner's a bit of a dick vibe. Yeah. Are we deeping it a little bit? Like could the comment have just been like, not that I want to discredit Spencer Pratt, but is there a chance this has kind of got legs over the years and Lisa Kudrow went up, said something relatively sarcastic about serial killer eyes and him being a bit evil and he's just run with it. I think it all depends on whether or not it actually came out of her mouth like he's going to kill you or he's going to murder you. I think if that is mayo that Spencer has added over the years, green pass for Lisa Kudrow, who cares? I could have just imagined, but maybe I'm also imagining the character of Phoebe, of Lisa Kudrow going up and being a bit like sarcastic and dry about it all. Now, the thing that's really interesting is Real Housewives star Bethany Frankel just decided to enter the chat for no reason. (laughs) She responded to this post with a comment that read, that's crazy. She was on my talk show and I had a crazy experience also. (laughs) She followed up that comment with a video of her own saying, again, why I had such a crazy experience with Lisa Kudrow. (laughs) She said the following. When she was on my talk show, as she stood out as the person who wanted to be there least of anybody the entire run. And it was almost as if I was, I described it as if it was like I walked up to her at the supermarket to to interview her. And she would be like, what? Like you're coming up to me in the frozen food section. But it was on a talk show set. I was, I basically just was asking her very basic, normal questions. And you could tell that she just didn't want to be there. Now, the thing about this is after she did this whole video, Bethany Frankel then commented saying, I'm sure Lisa Kudrow is a lovely person and she's a wonderful actress. I'm by no means getting into anything with her or piling onto anything with Spencer. Yes, you are. That's literally what you did. What is with celebrities gaslighting us after feuds or tension to say, now she's clearly lovely. I'm not getting getting into anything. I am obsessed with celebrities doing this. Like you just did the polar opposite. We're not stupid. Yeah, like don't blame me for a fool. I know what you fucking did. (laughs) And now... 
Oh, fifth story, Michelle. <laughs> oh, we're done talking about that. Old <laughs> I think so. I think so because I really need to get to this one. Guys, I think we're going to need some kind of headline to go with the headline whenever we talk about Brooklyn and Nicola Peltz-Beckham because at the moment they're in every fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Did you just silently sneeze and headbutt the microphone? She could get away with it. (laughs) Keep rolling. I would have told her. Does your head hurt? No, no, it was my headphones. (laughs) You guys are so dramatic. Some of us are tough around here. Some of us can keep rolling. I just saw like a flash of movement in the corner of my eye. It was Zara headbutting the, the microphone is, with force. You guys have now put so much mayo on this story. It's also captured on this video <laughs> and it's going to be the lightest head knock of all time. <laughs> anyway, we do need some kind of intro for Nicola and Brooklyn Peltzbeckham because at the moment they're in every episode of Shameless. They deserve their own self-titled segment. And at this I point. ain't sorry. I ain't sorry I'm either. not sorry. I know some people will say, stop talking about them. I won't. We refuse. If you don't want to hear about them, maybe we're not the show for you. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> we're not because we are a celebrity on Pop Culture Podcast and I don't know a better couple to be having conversations about right now than Brooklyn and Nicola Peltz-Beckham. So onwards. Our fifth story, Brooklyn and Nicola Peltz-Beckham star on Vogue Hong Kong's September issue. That is from Vogue. Yes, they've scored the biggest issue of the year with Vogue Hong Kong. I actually just need to know who's running the show for these two. Who is pitching them out to all these publications and getting these jobs? These two are everywhere and I kind of don't really know why. It's not like they're plugging anything apart from themselves and their wedding every week they're getting a massive publication to run a massive piece on them with like a photo shoot and a huge interview and like it's insane like whoever is doing the PR for these two deserves a raise I haven't seen such an effective PR campaign or non-effective if you're not warming to them yeah well it depends if you go by that old adage of all publicity is good publicity and I think in this case generally it's net positive for Brooklyn and Nicola because truthfully I didn't really know who they were about six months ago (laughs) now Why it's generated headlines again is because Victoria Beckham decided to share the spread on her Instagram, but she only shared the photos of Brooklyn. (laughs) She wrote, so proud, Brooklyn Pelts Beckham. Similarly, did you know it? That was my first snort. Oh, Oh my God. It was an accident. Annabelle, what a beautiful moment. I just didn't know about this story. I find it so funny. It was your first snort. Your first snort ever or your first snort on On mic? On mic. On mic, great. Now, David Beckham also only shared a photo of Brooklyn solo. Neither liked any photo from Nicola in it nor any of the photos on Nicola's page. What do we think? Yeah, well, even the photos on Brooklyn's page with his wife in it, they didn't like it. Only the photos of him by himself. What I think, Zara, is that this is a legit feud. Like, it's gone beyond smoky gossip. It's just fact. Yeah. Like, there is a it, massive well, family feud. I said at the top of the episode, we're a, we're a podcast of truths. And this is, <laughs> this is one of the universal truths at the moment <laughs> is that there is a feud going on. Again, they're not stupid. Victoria Beckham, David Beckham know exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. They know exactly the kind of headlines this is going to generate. I'm just like, is this how to get back in the good graces of your son, though, if you are potentially feuding with his wife is to just ignore her in yeah. these because if, if that was me if I was feuding with my parents because they didn't like my partner and they just kept trying to ignore him publicly <laughs> I'd say can you not like this is not helping I reckon this supports the theory that celebrities stopped maturing at the age they became famous Victoria and David became famous quite young and to be honest they're acting like a bunch of 21 year olds Nicola Peltz Beckham is only in her 20s, like her mid-20s. Yes, maybe she's been a little shit to them at the wedding or maybe she didn't wear Victoria's dress design or whatever. I'm not saying Nicola is a flawless human. I really couldn't care less what she's like. Oh, yeah, you could. (laughs) (laughs) What I care about, though, is... Couldn't Victoria and David just share the photo? If they just shared or liked a photo with her in it, this would all be done. They're acting like a bunch of 20-year-olds. And isn't the main thing here that they get along with their son and they just like smooth things over for the greater good of the family? No, I kind of think maybe also they might all be in on it too. What? I don't know. I would be surprised. Do you think this is a PR stunt? Um, or a big just, joke. Just kind of said joke. it without old joke. Just kind of said it without thinking. <laughs> no, I think there is a small possibility that yeah, because they're not doing anything like that wild. They're just doing small things that are going to keep the conversation rolling. I disagree. I think it's all too believable that a mother-in-law, particularly a mother of a son, dare I say, is attached to her son and maybe David Beckham is too. It's their oldest boy. It's their I precious know. oldest I boy. Know. And I think, I think the reality is. I think that's more likely. I think there's like a 5% chance though that that could be the other way. I don't know. 
Anyway, is that all? <laughs> is that all we've got? That's all we've got. We'll update you all on Brooklyn and Nicola next week. See you next week. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. Look. You didn't miss it. You definitely didn't miss it. (laughs) Don't worry, darling. Finally premiered at Venice Film Festival this week. And Mish, it was full of headlines from Florence Pugh missing the press conference and turning up a little bit late to Harry Styles allegedly spitting on Chris Pine. (laughs) We need to talk about it all. Where do you want to start? Oh, God, where to start? I think we need to start with Florence Pugh pulling out of her only real media commitment for the film in its entirety. Like... Florence Pugh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe 10 days ago, it was announced that she wasn't going to do media for the film. She wasn't going to do the whole press junket circuit. She was just going to do the presser at Venice. Well, she was just going to do Venice, but they were a bit vague about it. Yeah. They said she was just going to do media at Venice. Yeah. And so we're all like, okay, well, she'll do the one press conference and hopefully someone will ask her about the feud or someone will hint towards it and we'll get an answer. I think we got an even bigger answer by her pulling out the day before and saying, actually, my private jet can't arrive on time for me to do this press conference. I'm going to arrive 20 minutes late and miss it. The funniest thing is when I saw this headline, like Florence Pugh misses press conference, her plane's not landing till say 2pm. I thought, God, Unlucky commercial <laughs> I was like, just get on an earlier one. Then I felt so stupid when we were prepping for this segment and we realised it was a private plane and I was like, oh, you can definitely get that to arrive a little bit earlier. And there were also Instagram stories of her like drinking Aperols <laughs> in her apartment or whatever. Like While hotels. the press conference was going on, she literally landed and walked in. Like it wasn't as if she missed the press conference by hours. She landed as it was happening and then was walking through the streets of Venice holding Aperols. In like this incredible purple Valentino kit. Now, what I think what's really interesting here is Pew's team said that obviously the reason that she's unable to get there in time is she was filming June in Budapest. That's an incredibly intense commitment. And this is what Deadline reported around that. Pew won't be at the press conference at 12.15, but that is because her flight from Budapest from the set of June sequel doesn't land until 1.30 or 2, sparing her whatever press scrutiny will be directed toward her director and co-star. Pew will walk the red carpet, do the photo call and watch the movie with her cohorts, including Wilde and Styles. She will then jump back on the plane because her director expects her to get right back to work on Tuesday morning. That now, sounds legit. It sounds legit, but that excuse of... Well, Florence must be absolutely slammed with June commitments right now. Doesn't hold water when you think about the fact that Timothy Chalamet had quite a lot of time for (laughs) Venice and he is the literal star of the June franchise. Here's what Deadline reported regarding that. Now, Timothy Chalamet was given ample time to do the red carpet (laughs) and press conference for Bones and all, and he is the star of June. And both (laughs) Don't Worry Darling and June are Warner Brothers films, while Chalamet's film is MGM. So go figure. So... Too long didn't read. If Timothy Chalamet's films are under competing production houses. And he can do press, red carpets. As many interviews and chats and whatever as he likes. Yet Florence Pugh, who is doing two films with the same production house, who would want her to do media. Like, how does any of that make sense? It doesn't make sense. I don't think they're designing it to make sense. I don't (laughs) think Florence Pugh's team really care. I think what it begs the question for all of us is how did contractually Florence Pugh get out of every single press commitment for Don't Worry Darling? As we know, when we talk about movie stars, they're largely not paid for the hours that they put in on set. Mm. Movie stars are paid so much money for the press tour that they do when the movie's about to come out. And it sounds kind of grueling, the press tour. They sit in front of journalist after journalist after journalist for weeks and weeks on end and answer the same set of questions. And that's why they're paid the big bucks. How did she avoid all of that? I reckon she avoided it very, very simply. I think she would have said to the people behind Don't Worry Darling, I'll do the press tour, but I'll say exactly what I want to say. And I think the Don't Worry Darling team know that that would not be in their best interest, particularly when Olivia Wilde has been wheeling out the story for weeks, maybe months of She's a force. I love Florence Pugh. There is no there is no feud. It's just tabloid speculation. I don't need to feed it. It's bullshit. They can't stick by that if they have Florence Pugh sitting next to Olivia Wilde going, actually, I have some interesting experiences on the set of this movie that I'd love to talk about. But wouldn't they want that? Nah, no way. Why? Like, again, I'm like... That's going to get people talking about the movie more than anyone's already talking about the movie. And hell, I was sitting at dinner with my boyfriend last night and he would never have heard of this movie. I mean, granted, he called it 
don't worry, baby. (laughs) But he said, I think I need to see that film. I'm hearing so much about it. So it's reaching audiences that never would have been reached before. Part of me thinks, yes, you're right. That's all it would have taken. And then part of me thinks they could have easily called her bluff and said, okay, do it. Because at the end of the day, people are still going to talk about the film. I wonder though, if Olivia Wilde had quite a lot of sway over the contract, which the only thing I can think of is that she probably wouldn't have that much power over contracts and said, please don't let her do this. Please do not let her speak. Yeah, I think it would be, well, it's Olivia Wilde's film, right? Like it's her name all over it. She directed it. She is so attached to it. I don't think she would have wanted Florence Pugh there speaking her mind because for Olivia Wilde, that is damning. Because in my mind, Florence Pugh has some stuff to say that maybe goes against the idea that the film was done in this super feminist and empowering for women way. Yeah, I think that's probably exactly what she wants to talk about. I think the other thing that I thought as I saw all the footage come out of Venice is how bad I felt for Chris Pine and Gemma Chan because <laughs> I had completely forgotten that they were part of this film. Had you guys forgotten that too? Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I knew, but I just loved Gemma. So. <laughs> I, it kind of rung a bell once I saw them to be like, of course. I had didn't know that Chris Pine was in the film. And I thought for these two who are professionals how disappointing would this experience be to have your work completely overshadowed by this kind of drama and they both looked like they were completely zoning out at the presser (laughs) because they were barely asked a question so much of it was dominated by harry styles pop career and the drama that's gone on in tabloid headlines chris pine and Gemma chan are probably in my mind kind of regretting being involved with this project at this point. And I I think as well, truthfully, I watched some of these interviews and some of the press junket and thought, my God, Chris Pine, who is a professional actor with a body of work that's incredibly impressive, is sitting next to Harry Styles, who's literally giving the quote, I think I like the movie because it feels like Like a a real movie. movie. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. But also I think actors have to do that all the time in the industry. Harry Styles is not the first person to ever be hired because he's famous for other things. His quotes were spectacularly bad. Oh, they weren't great, but I also don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Truthfully. Which actually leads me to my next point, which is my bias for Harry Styles is taking over. The fact he is in my past basket is taking over because I'm finding myself infuriated (laughs) by the headlines that are saying that he spat on... On Christopher Pine. He didn't fucking spit on Christopher Pine. This is the, a really interesting sidebar to the whole story. When we first saw TikToks, so many TikToks doing like slow-mos of did Harry spit on Christopher Pine as he turned to sit down at the premiere? We were like, that's bullshit. No one's going to read into that. I said to you, this actually makes me angry. Like this is, <laughs> it annoys me that anyone would ever believe this. People on TikTok saying, look, I'll zoom in on the saliva. I'm like, there is none. There's none. Stop it. Stop it. Even the Guardian, for those who missed it, read a headline yesterday that read, don't dribble, darling. <laughs> Did Harry Styles really spit at Chris Pine, to which they broke down three potentials? One is that, no, he didn't spit. This is just ridiculous. And the other two were banking on, yes, he did spit and his why would he sp- I don't want to like point out the bleedingly obvious, but why would he spit on Chris Pine? With cameras everywhere. Like if he wanted to spit on Chris Pine, he'd do it back in the hotel room. It doesn't, oh, there she goes. It doesn't make any sense. And I got to tell you, if anyone listening to this, this is my message to you. My back is spasming. If, if anyone listening to this believes this rumour, you are not a listener of Shameless. You are disowned. I'll still own you. You're half owned. Oh my God. We've got to bring it back though. We need to, I need to send to this. Now, one other thing that I really need to talk about and one other thing that I found really, really interesting was how much some of the people in the team of Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde really actually wanted to lean into this very subtly, into this drama, into these headlines. For example, Florence Pugh's stylist uploaded a whole gallery of photos of her just as she was about to walk the red carpet with the caption, Miss Flo, Mm. which is so obviously pointing to that video that was leaked of Olivia Wilde the other week. Just as equally, Olivia Wilde's stylist uploaded a story that night saying, there's always more to the story. I'm like, why are the stylists doing the dirty work? What is this about? Yeah, I found that fascinating as well that the stylists were the ones who were maybe the most vocal about everything. The other thing I want to talk about when it came to the red carpet, I mean, there is literally so much to dissect with this. I only last night saw that Florence Pugh did give one quote to a journalist on the red carpet. Did you guys see this? No. The quote she gave is fascinating, given this is the only thing I've seen that Florence Pugh said yesterday. 
She was asked what she found inspiring about her character in the film and said, I think it's very, very inspiring to see a woman push back and say no and question everything. It's very exciting to see a woman do that on and off camera. I love that. I also love that she brought her grandma. Yes. Mm. I think there's something very like deliberate about that too to be like there is a lot of glitz and glam and a lot of drama going on here salaciousness I'm gonna come back to my roots and bring my grandma and like make this my own thing the reviews of the film itself were kind of so-so right a lot of two and three stars were thrown around it hasn't been considered a total flop but it wasn't sort of praised for being like a full Oscar contender. Olivia's directing was generally considered okay. Harry's acting wasn't praised nor was it derided. I did see it described as wooden. I saw, I think I saw a lot of like, it was fine. It was, it okay. was fine. Yeah. Florence's performance was kind of considered solid without being show-stopping. Generally considered perhaps the strongest part of the film, but again, not the kind of thing that people are like falling over themselves to say was wonderful. Mm. I really enjoyed the opening line from this vulture review of the film. Arriving at the Venice Film Festival on a rapidly growing tidal wave of toxic buzz, Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling is neither as bad as some are clearly hoping it will be, nor as good as it probably needs to be to overcome the public relations nightmare its press rollout has become. I don't think this film was ever going to be able to be good enough to overcome this press nightmare. I can't think of a bigger public relations nightmare than the rollout of this film. I can't think of one. This just became like this publicity nightmare became a train that couldn't be stopped. Like I know we started talking about this a couple of months ago and it seemed like something that was in the air. Maybe we were kind of questioning whether or not anything was really awry. The fact that we've now had Venice and we know for a fact something is definitely very, very off between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde and maybe Harry Styles as well. It's interesting to me that this is clearly so fractious. Whatever has happened behind closed doors is so fractious. They couldn't even put on like a happy appearance in the public eye. Like they were separated on the red carpet. Florence Pugh didn't greet Harry Styles or Olivia Wilde. They weren't sat next to each other at the premiere. There was one instance we could find of Florence making eye contact and even acknowledging maybe Olivia Wilde's presence. Like for this to get to the point and for this to be so toxic to the point where even publicly they couldn't pretend it wasn't a thing is fascinating. It's funny, we've gotten so far into this conversation and we haven't touched on one of the other major talking points about this premiere is that Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde, two people who have been dating for almost two years now, barely acknowledged each other at the presser, on the red carpet, at the premiere itself. And a lot of people are reading into that and thinking, oh, well, have they broken up? Is this a sign that all of the drama has caused them to split as a romantic couple? You and I don't think that, Zara. We have a different theory. Yeah, I definitely don't think they've broken up. I think they played this wonderfully. Like I actually think they played this beautifully in that they were clearly told and clearly decided behind the scenes, our relationship cannot be anywhere or in any way visible on this red carpet because it just cannot be a talking point. A, it would take away from Olivia's job Mm -hmm. and it's clearly important to her that she's taken seriously as a director. And B, I think it would feed the Florence gossip and they really wanted to do everything they could to not feed that Florence gossip. I think it would also piss off the other actors involved in the project who really just want to talk about the project. Like we've spoken enough about Harry and Olivia as a couple. They wouldn't want that. And I think Harry and Olivia were trying to respect that vibe the whole way through the premiere. I completely agree with you. I I don't think this is anything to read into. In fact, they were papped going to the same gym together seven days ago. So like we know they've been together very, very recently. That said, do I think it's going to last? No. We, I think I speak for both of us when I say we don't think this relationship is long for this world. No, I just, I I don't think it is. I think it's probably got like two months left. Is that harsh? Eight weeks max. I think what I said to you the other day is I would not be surprised if they break up before the end of the year, keep it quiet while the film's still doing okay at at cinemas or at the box office and maybe very quietly drop a breakup announcement between Christmas and New Year. Oh, yes. In that quiet pocket. I'm thinking a little further into Jan maybe, but I agree. I think they'll be broken up in a month to six or eight weeks. It'll be soon. I think they'll they'll come down from the drama of all this because there would have been a lot binding them together. Yes, for this project. Absolutely. And with the, the toxicity of a lot of the conversations. But now that maybe it might die down, I do wonder what happens with them. And I also wonder where to from here? Is the story dead? 
Because if Florence is not doing any publicity, I'm sure the others will have to do a little bit more publicity as the film comes out. But I'm not entirely sure this story can actually go anywhere. I kind of think we've hit the apex, yeah. truly, until in about three or four years' time, Florence Pugh sits down with Vogue or someone else. Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. And actually starts talking about it. And I don't think she'll ever properly give the full story. I don't think it's in her nature to go bang like that. But I think she'll give some pretty pointed comments in a couple of years. I agree. And I will be fascinated to see what the explanation is behind it. Because I think maybe when we were joking about this a few weeks ago for us to say, oh, maybe it was the alleged affair between Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles and her allegedly cheating on Jason Sudeikis to be with Harry. I think it's got to be many things at this point. It has to be heaps. It can't just be that. It just cannot. The more this is blown up, the more I've become sure that maybe the pay disparity rumours have to be true that Harry Styles, despite playing a much smaller role than Florence, was paid. I think the rumours were three times as much as as her. As this has gotten more and more legit and as we're – I'm 100% sure that this is completely fucked behind the scenes – I think the pay rumour maybe is the most compelling one now. I don't know otherwise if it would have gotten to this point. I think it's probably completely true Mm. because I think the other thing you need to consider is that having to sack Shia LaBeouf or, sorry, having to have Shia LaBeouf quit, (laughs) whatever that story is, and having to find a replacement very quickly of star power, you're going to throw money at that problem. Mm. You will throw money at that problem. And to get a name like Harry Styles to sign on, they would have thrown money at him. And then it's made more complicated that the male co-star who's playing far less of a role in the movie is dating the the director director, and she's paying him three times the amount of the female star. Like Florence Pugh is a star and I think that all makes it much more muddy and much more understandable as to why Florence Pugh is is as angry, clearly as angry as what she is. I reckon one day we'll find out more, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. We'll be waiting. (laughs) We'll be waiting. The Scandal series will be waiting. Cannot wait to do a scandal on this one day. Yeah. Give us a year or two. Give us some breathing room. Give us some time to look back with hindsight and it will be in your face. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, that is all we've got time for today a bit of a longer episode because there was so much to cover as always if you want to support the show go and click follow on spotify or on apple or wherever you listen to the podcast it helps other people find the show yeah guys thank you so much for listening we'll be back in your ears on monday with an episode of scandal can't wait bye anything to add Annabelle? no (laughs) No. bye Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.